Podcast, your one-stop shop for internet culture and communities. Produced by The Daily Dot and sponsored by Penguin Random House Audio. Publishers of fantastic audio books and where to find them. Why in your favorite audiobook apps, of course. Find outstanding titles like Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Crazy Rich Asians, Stranger Things, and many, many more. On platforms like Audible, Barnes & Noble, or even Penguin.com. Listen to audiobooks while you drive, work out, or do the dishes. They're just like podcasts, only without the f***ing expletives. Visit PenguinRandomHouseAudio.com slash TwoGirlsOnePodcast to browse their selection of hot new titles. And speaking of people speaking words into microphones, let's learn the language of comedy with your favorite marginally famous hosts, Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jackla. Hey everybody, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. I almost, I was kind of singing my name. Did you hear that? I think that you should always do that. Okay, cool. That's just how I'll do it from now on. Cool. Um, so let us tell you who we are. We'll keep it brief. We are performers who have performed the internet as a script throughout the years, live on stage in our show Blogalogs. From there, we made a web series where we interviewed people behind internet posts and then went on scripted adventures. And from there, we made this podcast with The Daily Dot because we are super fascinated with uh, people behind different internet communities and phenomena. So we're working with Mr. Matt, who is also here. Welcome, Matt. That wouldn't be weird at all. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Hey. Hi. 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 How are you? Who are you speaking to? Who? (laughs) Mr. Matt. To oh, Mr. Hey, Matt. Oh, you're talking to me? His first name's Mr. Yeah, yeah. And his last name's Matt. <laughs> that's right. I feel like that's my, if I was a professional wrestler or something. Mr. Mr. Matt. I, or a magician. Yes, thank you. Kids magician. Yeah. So many things. Creepy kids magician. Uh-huh. Also, yeah, definitely creepy. <laughs> you were reading what my did, mind. What did we decide was your brony name in the brony episode? Oh, boy. It was something that seemed like maybe you touched little children and it wasn't cool. <laughs> I, t- I touch little that, children every day of my life. Uh, you do. I see no problem. Because he's a dad, guys. He's a dad. Okay. Sometimes okay. I touch their okay. private parts. I, I have to do it to wipe the poop off. Oh, wow. Wow. This got so weird so fast and it wasn't so even quickly. my fault. Wait, Ali, you Ugh. were Bacon Smile. What Remind me of mine? You were something with a farm. Something with a farm. Okay, okay. All right. Matt, do you remember? We should really listen <laughs> to the show. We should we really should, listen we should to check our check out 2G1P every uh, now and then. You know what? My, one of my best friends listens to every episode. Love you, Mike Gianni. Love you. And sometimes he'll text me things and I'm like, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> oh, man. That sounds like my life. Yeah. But something really adorable is he sent me the Tricera taco because I mentioned that I wanted it on the show. But wait, I think I knew this. Didn't Matt also give you a Tricera yeah, taco? Yeah, I, I gave it to you. Yeah, he gave me a Tricera taco and then I gave it to Lauren Katz. Shout out to Lauren. And then- <laughs> And then Mike gave me a new Tricera taco. Oh, whoa. Basically, Tricera tacos for everyone, guys. Tricera Good. tacos for everyone. That just, is the just definition. Define, yeah, yeah, we should define. Uh, like The backstory is I, I filmed a video, <laughs> uh, like a, a branded video for this product, which is a plastic Triceratops with two grooves in the back that hold your tacos. So you can place your hard shell tacos on the back of a Triceratops. And honestly, who doesn't want that? 
No, he's Basically, groovy. Basically, it's the best thing that's ever happened to humanity. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, that's the definition of paying it forward when you give somebody your Triceratoco and one like just arrives in your lap. Look at you. I know. Ka- karma. Can, and he, he wrote a poem with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, next time, please bring that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still have it. It's just it's not with me at this moment. But I could. You didn't memorize you it? <laughs> um, I really should have. It's not that long. <laughs> but. It it warmed my my cold dead heart. It really did. <laughs> you know. Oh but anyway, my. speaking of how poems, you say triceratoco in Esperanto. Okay, that, yeah, that was good too. I was gonna I was say trying. speaking of poems. Yep, we were getting yeah, there. We were a much there. better transition. You want to tell no, them what we're no. doing today? <laughs> we are looking at Esperanto, which is a language that was invented with the goal of it becoming an international language that everyone could speak. It's very easy to learn. Apparently, you can apparently you can learn it in like two months. It's been persecuted, which is so fucking crazy to me. Yeah. Um, or the, the speakers and the whole movement, and it was is formed in the late nineteenth century. But we are looking at it today because it it has really taken off with the internet because online learning platforms started including it. So there's a lot of interesting history that we're gonna get into today. That's right, and we're talking with the uh, I think Verge called him the public face of tech Esperanto, but we're also speaking with a native Esperanto speaker, meaning that she grew up with parents who spoke it, spoke it at home. Uh, We'll see if it was her primary language. I sort of doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah, and can you can you stress for our listeners how how crazy that is that she's a native speaker? There's there's like there's like two thousand of them, right? There are three hundred fifty of them. (laughs) So we have plucked her out of uh, like a drop of water. Yeah, it's there's so few people, Um, and we we found one. So. Congratulations to us. <laughs> Yay, uh, good us. Get. Good get. Uh, native speaker, uh, Jen, you defined it as like uh, born into a household where it's spoken and sort of grew up with it as the default or bilingual language. So like probably speaks English or Spanish in normal life, but also simultaneously grew up with Esperanto. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah, I doubt she was speaking it outside of the home because I think people who speak this are pretty dispersed, but we'll because see. Because there's right. only 350 of them? Yeah. <laughs> Across well, the worldwide, world? I think there are 2 million Esperanto speakers, which is only 350 native speakers. Actually, something I'm curious about, which I guess I could wait till the interview, is like, are there uh, other national languages where there's fewer speakers than Esperanto? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There's got to be. Native American languages, probably. Yeah. Oh, well, that's sad. Well, sure. Because smallpox. Anyway. Um, <laughs> comedy Jen. podcast. Comedy. Po- yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> he laughed. He laughed. One person laughed. Hey, you know anytime, what's weird about this podcast? I don't know who's pox. laughing. No. <laughs> you, are you, you guys can't tell laughing the at home? Are you laughing? <laughs> if you're laughing, Everyone's tweet at us. staring at their phones like with an angry face, with a scowl. No, yeah. anytime smallpox can be the punchline of a joke, I'm in. Cool. Thank cool. you. I agree. <laughs> and now all of our Native American listeners have clicked out. <laughs> we respect you and we're excited about having you in Congress finally. Ooh, oh, yeah. Anywho, Jen, have you ever had... Sorry, my voice squeaks, guys, because I'm still fucking sick. And have I ever just- had smallpox? Is that where that was going? <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. No, where but I was we also going to ask if you've ever had a secret language. Oh, that's such a good question. The answer is no. Uh... But I definitely 
engaged in a fair amount of pig Latin as a youth, (laughs) (laughs) but not secret. Uh, Have you? No, but uh, as a twin, a lot of people ask me if we have a secret language, and I think that question is stupid. But also, uh, (laughs) when I was a kid, we would pass notes and we would do it. This is like really not clever at all, but um, although I think it worked for its purposes. Basically, Z was one and A was 26. And uh, so and then we would pass notes using numbers. Okay, so you're going backwards. It's the reverse of what you yes. think it would be. Yeah, it's the reverse. We're so smart. Got him. <laughs> Boom. That must Although have taken wonder... a really long time to decode. and uh, You probably got pretty good at it, though. No, because, yeah, we got good at it. We got good at it. And, yeah. and when you're a kid, wow. it's, like, really fun to decode it. You know what I mean? Sure. sure. Now I'd be like, Jen, stop writing me emails and numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for this shit. Well, you now know? you have an algorithm. Just get the cipher and pop it into your Gmail as a plug-in. Boom. Decode it. It's great. Yeah, that's thanks, right. Matt. Thanks. Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> the, the correct answer to did you and your twin have a secret language is like, of course not. We t- communicate telepathically, obviously, right, and then you really right. fuck with people. I also got that question. People would be like, why don't you just, why don't you just use your telepathy on the test? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, because you're an idiot. <laughs> or like, also, did you did you ever switch places with your twin and fool the teacher? And you're like, he's a boy. Yeah, listeners, yeah. I have a male twin, and I cannot tell you how many times, as an adult, people still ask me, "So, are you identical or fraternal?" <laughs> it drives me bonkers. And then I say, "Well, he's a boy." And every now and then, people still are like, "Yeah, I know he's a guy. Are you fraternal or identical?" And I'm like, "So he has a dick." <laughs> Okay, but if your twin had long hair, would you be identical? <laughs> no, I uh-huh. still right, get questions. Right, like, right. I, the worst was I once had someone argue with me that boy-girl twins can be identical, and I was wrong. And <laughs> I was like, explained. I will never. <laughs> they did. They did. Oh, and, man. And I will. <laughs> well, I guess twin explaining would technically be us explaining. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I was like, I can never speak to you again. <laughs> let me twin explain something for you. <laughs> you lost all respect uh so you and brad never had a secret language listeners that's my brother (laughs) brother brad are you guys are you identical with brad uh yes we are we are totally Um, (laughs) born three years apart identical yeah Yeah, our our voices resonate at the same frequency (laughs) very low guys very low um no, we're five and a half years apart. So I, he was way too cool. He was like, "Yo, if you mm. want to come drink in the basement with me and my friends, you can." And then I was like, "Nope, <laughs> I'm Wait, gonna go study." What? A, what, a, <laughs> what a cool older brother, though. Yeah, he was—he's a great older brother. He but, was sharing um, his alcohol. You guys have a little bit of a secret language now, do we? Oh, we—we t- we, yeah, with the emojis that we text each other, yeah, <laughs> which I guess but, is very public. Yeah, and cats. You have a weird cat thing going on, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, like for a, my brother uh, would send every single day. He would send a different picture of his cats, superimposed on a different background, like, and they might be like <laughs> traveling across the world, that sort of thing. But then it became a picture of our family against different backgrounds. I, I don't know what it meant, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Brad, can you please keep sending those? Because he stopped about a month ago. Fuck so. you, Brad. Why did my you brother. stop? <laughs> well, that seems Whoa. like a weird command to give people. That's a different. That's a different episode. Guys. That's a different. Yeah, for uh, sure. Um. So, but Jen, you speak French, is that right? Uh, not anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to mm-hmm. almost be fluent, and I kind of lost it. Yeah, but Ali, you speak Hebrew. 
Yeah, but same story. <laughs> same, really? Okay. It used, it used to be. I mean, I was never fluent, but like, I remember at the peak, I could like get by. Yeah. I think my proudest moment was I was like in the West Bank having an ideological conversation with some settlers and like I didn't really like what they were saying, but I was so excited that I could understand it all. Um, <laughs> you were just smiling I, and clapping. Yes. Yes. I was like, oh my gosh, I understand this. But um, yeah, but I don't really remember. I, it's now it's just not. I forgot it. <laughs> it's Do gone. you speak any other languages? The end. The um, I used to know a little Arabic, but that's also pretty gone. Although I still like <laughs> to pull it out with cab drivers sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, sometimes it gets me really good service. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, whoa, this white blondish girl speaking Arabic. I'll drop you off right at your location. <laughs> In New York once, the guy was like, don't pay me. And I was like, I have to pay you. <laughs> don't pay me because you wow. speak Arabic? And you're yeah, cool. it was re- I mean, this just happened once, but he was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. He was like, going to give me the ride for free. I was like, wow. no, I'm going to pay you. Yeah, so now you exclusively like speak ago. Arabic in taxi cabs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's really offensive to the non-Arabic speaking <laughs> exactly. drivers. Well, are you in Arabic? Are you sure you're not saying like, don't do anything funny? Pull this cab over right now. Like, are you saying like threatening things? And he's like, oh, t- don't, t- I can't take you. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely it. I, I threatened Ali's them. Ali's very threatening. <laughs> Matt, do you I speak any other? Uh, do you speak other languages besides like Klingon or? Yes, <laughs> I, I can <laughs> say I can say I am a good boy in American Sign Language, so I've got that. Oh, ASL, that's so cool. Wait, um, what? Why? Just le- learned the three signs one day and never <laughs> forgot. That's all I for, got. But why specifically for I am a good I am boy. a good boy? <laughs> that's just they're just easy. I feel like there's a story behind this. I don't remember. I learned it in were school. Were you a not- bad boy and you had to tell them that you were a good boy? <laughs> I had to prove to people. Uh, no, no. It was okay. just uh, something that a friend taught me or something in school like ages ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can remember that. It's the only thing. I, I took Spanish and maybe Italian. Don't remember a darn thing. Okay. okay. All right, guys. Oh, yeah. I speak some Spanish, but I've also forgotten it. So, in conclusion, we're a bunch of dumb Americans. Welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> let's Meanwhile, learn, let's learn some Esperanto today, y'all. Yeah, but also I was going to say, we've had some listeners write in that they use our podcast to practice their English, which we're happy you're here, but that's not advisable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please don't. Um, Well, speaking of being dumb Americans, we're going to take a break, but first, it is trivia time. Woo! All right, but as we discussed in a previous episode, California law legally mandates that Allie gets a Trader Joe's gift card (laughs) either way. No matter what, there's no stakes for you, Jen. It's all on the all line. The no stakes. pressure. Okay. Yeah. Just We're reminding you, I have received no gift card. <laughs> uh, it, it takes six to eight years okay. to process. There, God, also, fucking damn it. Yeah, you read the fine print. <laughs> I'll be in my 40s <laughs> when I receive my Trader Joe's gift card. <laughs> you signed well, the terms I'll of service. Well, I'll still be eating. I'll still be eating then, yeah, yeah, so you'll, that's you'll cool. Eventually, yeah. it'll come around. Today's trivia is about Esperanto. Uh, specifically Esperanto in media, did you know that there are only four known feature films, that obviously means full-length movies, shot exclusively in Esperanto? I assume there is lots of media where Esperanto-speaking characters exist, but these are four films where that are exclusively in Esperanto. Two of them were produced in the 1960s, uh, and the other two were created uh, much later, more closer to our time. But one of the two 1960s films stars a mainstream actor before he was famous. 
Who that be? Whoa. Okay. So excited. Okay. A. William Shatner of Star Trek and Priceline fame. Makes sense. B. Sean Connery, James Bond himself. Or C. The legendary Elizabeth Taylor. One of these actors was in a B movie, an unsuccessful movie entirely in Esperanto in the 1960s before they got their big breakthrough. Who was it? Matt, this is such good trivia. Question, the script was written in Esperanto or it was like dubbed over or something? What It was written in Esperanto and they spoke it? Yep, uh, okay. written in Esperanto and the actors spoke Esperanto. They got acted it. in Esperanto. I think Sean Connery is a genius, so I'm going to go with B. I'm going with A because I think I read online when I was researching Esperanto for this podcast that... Wait, wasn't it William Shatner who did a scene in Esperanto in a Star Trek episode? But not a. F- I didn't read about a full length feature, but. I think you're and right. And I also on. might be confusing things completely, but I'm going to go with A. Okay. Allie goes with William Shat. Jen goes with Sean Connery. Did he shatter? Did he shit? Don't, don't, don't talk to me. Don't, I don't deserve to be spoken to. You've been banned. <laughs> you're banned. We will find out the correct answer after the break. Ali, what is the greatest love story ever told? Uh, Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. <laughs> I thought you were going to give me like... That. Everybody knows that. Okay, everybody knows. knows. <laughs> but they are married and they are the most bomb-ass couple, I think, in the history of couples. I would agree with that statement. Well, I mean, also there's the Obamas. Well, oh, that's true. That's true. All right. Yeah, but I would say Well, they're the other two. greatest love story. Yeah, but the really cool but thing importantly, about this yeah. is that it's an audiobook. So and Megan Mullally Nick, is reading it. Yeah, I'm just going to call them Nick okay. and Megan like we know them. Yeah, yeah Nick and Megan are reading Nick it. Nick and Megs. <laughs> Nicks and Megs. <laughs> and apparently it includes some puzzles, which does not surprise me because it seems what? like they get freaky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how they're going to do that over audio, but like, again, I'm going to listen and I will let you know. Um... But Did yeah, you also I would say love they get to get freaky. I want to learn more about that. <laughs> yeah, I follow her on Instagram, and uh, they post a lot of funny videos together. They just seem to have a lot of damn fun. <laughs> but this is being published through Penguin Random House Audio, and you can find it at penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/slash/two-girls-one-podcast. And you can also find these Penguin Random House Audio books. This one in particular, the greatest love story ever told anywhere else you would get an audiobook so audible amazon birds and noble um i'm gonna go on the penguin site and see what i can find check out the greatest love story ever told on penguin random house audio guys and let us know what you think and now the greatest real advertisement ever told entitled we need a smart person from the website that's only for smart people craigslist We need a smart or more person to help on with our company. Well, I can tell you who's not qualified to be the smart person they're looking for. These dumb Americans who speak no <laughs> other languages. Oh, man. Although How he really true. didn't say what the qualifications are for the job. They didn't even you know, say maybe what the a second was. language isn't necessary. No, yeah. Very open ended. Yeah. Yeah. We should apply. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. Would you Great. like to know the trivia answer? Meh. 
Uh, well, you don't care because you have the gift card anyway, but I would like to know. Also, right, right. I, I, get the, I get a gift card if I win, right? Yes. That, okay, okay, just check. Just check. Okay. In eight years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Today's question is about Esperanto. There are only four known feature films shot exclusively in Esperanto with all characters speaking the language. Two of them were produced in the 1960s. One of them stars a very famous actor before he or she was famous. Your choices were A, William Shatner, which Ali chose, B, Sean Connery, which Jen chose, and C, Elizabeth Taylor, which nobody chose. Anyone want to change their answer? I'm sticking with Sean. Sticking, sticking. Mm -hmm. The correct answer is A, William Shatner. (gasps) Oh, so this is what happens when you're already guaranteed the gift card is that you will win all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I like that's that great logic. I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. I'm just mad about the laws in my state. I know. I know. But you yeah. know, I'll share with you. I know. I know you will. So, you're going to mail me that tikka masala. What are you going to mail me? <laughs> mail whatever me, you uh, want. What do I want? But maybe not something that needs to be in the freezer. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe some of the non-refrigerated snacks. Maybe I'll do like some sweet potato tortilla chips. All right. Well, I'll let you know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm worried about inflation because a $10 gift card in six to eight years is going to buy you what at Trader Joe's? Like a kernel of corn? I hate you. Yeah. A bean. Uh, So the second feature film shot in Esperanto was a 1965 American production called Incubus. This was a low-budget black-and-white horror film directed by the creator of The Outer Limits, which was a popular television show at the time, and it starred William Shatner. And, uh, you know, according to online sources, it was not a very good film, and the Esperanto community was not a fan of it because they spoke very poorly, apparently, in the the film. So I found that interesting. Well, did the actors learn it for the film, or did they they already know us? Was it like casting Esperanto speakers? It's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I, I, I feel like you're right, Ali, that William Shatner was sort of uh, on the periphery of the community and maybe was learning it. So he was probably in the mix and, and probably knew something before he joined. I'm speculating and I don't know this for sure, but that sounds right. Uh, and perhaps we'll ask our guests about it uh, later in the show. Matt, you're talking too much. Let's get into our interview. <laughs> Are we all, all excited? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Today we're speaking with two humans, uh, Chuck Smith, who helped get Esperanto on the internet. Uh, he started the Esperanto Wikipedia page as well as helped get it on Duolingo. And uh, we're also speaking with Stella Bechonier-Merger. Stella, is that how you say it? How did I do? <laughs> it was very, very close. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Don't be so um, nice. Don't be so nice. Tell, <laughs> us, tell us how you to say your name. Let's hear it. But it was very good. Bechonier-Merger. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. Uh, Well, (laughs) Stella's a native Esperanto speaker. So welcome, Chuck and Stella. We're really excited to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So I think for our listeners, it would be great if you could just give them a really brief history of the language if that's in in a minute <laughs> no big deal just like the past century or so can you summarize it <laughs> no big deal <laughs> so uh ludwig laser zamenhof uh started working on the language for 10 years so he was a, he was actually an eye doctor or studying at the time to be an eye doctor and just really loved linguistics and languages as a hobby so, and he just saw this need to have this common language where people could um, come together and talk to each other. Because in his city of Bialystok, he already saw people speaking uh, Lithuanian, German, Polish, Yiddish, etc. 
and then he worked on it for 10 years and then got money to be able to publish it and then published it in uh, Moscow. Stella, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. <laughs> um, I, I have no idea about the history of the language, to be honest. <laughs> okay. So that was in 1887, and the first book was in Russian. Oh, yeah, the biggest event was um, in 1905, afterwards, when people met for the first time in France, in Bologna-sur-Mer. And it was one of the most amazing things about this was at the end of the week, they discovered that they'd sort of formed this neutral accent just from talking to each other for a week. So then the Universal Esperanto Association was founded and the Esperanto Youth Organization and yeah, and so on. And how did you get involved with the language? So I was making a, I was writing an essay for a class called Models of Mind, which is an artificial intelligence class at the university. And I was writing on how computers could learn languages, and I thought uh, it would make much more sense to teach in computer Esperanto than a natural language, because then they could learn, it would learn it much faster. And I thought it was a really stupid idea for people, but I was like, okay. And then I came across uh, Passport de Servo, which was a service where you can stay with people all around the world who speak Esperanto. And then I found this, um, this 10 lesson, well, back then it was a 10 lesson email course, because that was back in around 2001. And I was like, yeah, I'll give this course a shot. And if it's stupid, I wasted a half hour of my time. Otherwise, I might have opened up a whole new world. Okay. Why would it be easier for a computer to learn Esperanto? Oh, it's because the language is much more regular, just like it's easier for people to learn it. There's right. very few exceptions. Ah, um, okay. I see what you're saying. Like in terms of verb conjugation and stuff like that, there are fewer exceptions in Esperanto than other languages. Yes, exactly. For example, for verb conjugations, there are no exceptions at all. Yeah. I remember learning exceptions in Spanish class, and they were no fun. Right. <laughs> mm, why don't we just stick to the rules? Why don't we do that? Wait, so you mentioned that there was this service where you could stay with Esperanto speakers around the world. What was the name of that? Pasporto Servo. So is that like and couch surfing for Esperanto? Exactly, except the, yes. the first... <laughs> oh, yeah, Stella could probably go into this uh, more detail. She worked uh, closely with the project. Yes, I did. Yeah, it's, it's before Couchsurfing existed, Esperantis basically did that, I don't know how many decades before <laughs> the other websites uh, started to appear online. Yeah. So actually, I met, I once with Passporto Servo stayed with the founders of Passporto Servo in Toulouse, France, and they told me the whole history that in 1966, uh, one guy had this idea to um, make this address book and but the problem was back then he wanted everyone to contact him and he was in Argentina so it took forever to get these requests and then in 72 someone had the idea let's just make a book and make it public and see what happens and it took off wait like a public book of where all the Esperanto speakers live no but it was a booklet so you know it's only the people who knew about it so the people who knew that this booklet existed they had the chance to actually get their hands on it so yeah it might seem unsafe but actually <laughs> it's totally you know it's just for insiders so if you don't know that it exists i mean you have no idea this is pre-internet time so pre-internet <laughs> what slowly. um <laughs> And off Stella, topic for the show, off topic for the show. I know. <laughs> Stella, you grew up speaking Esperanto, is that right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So uh, your parents taught it to you. Was it your primary language when you were a child? Mm, yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. 
Why did your, and, how did your parents learn Esperanto and why did they decide to teach it to you as your native language? Well, that is a very good question. <laughs> I have no idea why my father learned uh, Esperanto. I totally forgot to ask him. My mom, just uh, for fun, uh, a friend of hers said, yeah, actually, uh, there is a course at our university. Do you want to come with me? And because she heard about the language years before and she had always wanted to learn it she just thought oh well here's my chance so i might as well just learn it and then she went to the course she learned it and then she didn't use it until eight years later there was uh, this world congress actually in hungary um where my mom's from and uh, that's when she thought well actually i learned this language so i might as well just check out what this congress is about and that's where she met my father so that's how it happened that worked out well. Yeah, <laughs> um, very well. And, and so what was their reasoning for teaching that to you as your native tongue? And what was that like growing up speaking Esperanto? Like, did you have other friends who were speaking it? Were you learning other languages simultaneously? Yeah, so it was uh, the easy solution, to be honest, because um, my father was French, my mom's Hungarian, and um, they decided that I would grow up in Hungary. And then it was a question of in which order to teach the languages. So my father didn't speak Hungarian. So obviously the easiest way forward was to actually start with Esperanto. And then, yeah, of course, I'm in Hungary, so I will learn Hungarian. And then I can learn eventually French as well. But then it was just a question of order. So Esperanto was my first language. Yeah. And did your father ever learn Hungarian? No, never. <laughs> I mean, it's not a wow. language. So their whole relationship was in Esperanto. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So fascinating. So yeah. were there other kids when you were growing up that were speaking Esperanto or this was just your language at home? Well, uh, to be honest, I was very, very lucky because uh, Hungary is in a good place on the map, to be honest. So it meant that I had the opportunity to meet a lot of Esperanto speakers in general. Uh, children as well, but uh, mostly just the fact that I met many other people who speak the language. So it wasn't that I thought that it's only my family who speaks it, you know? So that that is a big difference depending on where you grow up as a native speaker. Some people are very lucky because they end up meeting a lot of other people who speak Esperanto, and in Hungary the community was very active. And... Um, some children are not that lucky, and they think that only their family uh, family speak Esperanto, actually. Oh, they think only their family speaks it, and then they grow up and they realize other people speak it? Yeah, many times you just don't meet other people because you live in an area where you just can't travel to other places. I mean, in the U.S., that is a problem because it's just the distances are so big that you can't easily meet up in person with other people. Obviously, the Internet helps a lot, but... Yeah, and that nothing compares to meeting people in person, actually. So let's get into it for this podcast and ask about the age of the internet and how that has changed the way people are able to connect and uh, bringing this community together. Chuck, maybe you could speak to that. Sure. So if you think about uh, pre-internet, you pretty much, to, to use Esperanto across borders, you had to either make an expensive phone call or send a letter, which took you know maybe a week or two to arrive at your destination. So the internet completely sped up the communication and helped the community grow a lot. Do you have statistics in terms of how many people spoke it before the internet and then how many, like, how it boomed? Like, was there um, a sharp increase or? 
Well, the trouble is about like trying to figure out how many people like play chess because you can't really do a mm -hmm. worldwide census and like what level is playing chess and so you, there's not really any statistics you could uh, really use for that unfortunately and so um in terms of the how the internet helped grow the language can you talk about how um it got onto duolingo and about your own uh you started the wikipedia right yes so maybe i can start with wikipedia um, so that was in uh, 2001. I'd actually been doing research on uh, wikis at the uh, university as well. So I, um, I get on there and I wrote a stupid article in English. I said, um, Pennsylvania is a big, boring, rectangular state. Because the whole hey, project I'm from was a there. <laughs> so am I. So you need to know, Jen. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so, but I mean, the, and you, when you looked at the project in April 2001, it just looked like a big joke. Like, sure, someone's going to make an encyclopedia out of a wiki. That's hilarious. <laughs> It'll never work. But okay. Then I went back around September or so and was like, whoa, this is working. Like, I'm addicted to like clicking through all these articles and reading all this stuff. And I saw actually that there was actually a template for Esperanto existing already um, but there's like a sentence with two grammar errors in it and i was like okay this <laughs> so i was like I, this needs to get started so i just started working on it and there was a guy who was he made an encyclopedia online called encyclopedia Kalblanda. so like the Kalbland encyclopedia because his name was Kalb. so and um he'd actually himself and a couple other collaborators had made like 150 articles already so i just wrote him and i said hey there's this thing called wikipedia uh, check it out and do you want to contribute your articles to it and he thought about it for a couple of days and said sure and then eventually i i contacted uh, people at wikipedia i said we want to have the interface in esperanto too and then eventually the, like jimbo talked to me on the phone and um, arranged to send me the files and i think brian vibber on the end was the one who actually translated it mm -hmm. and and then he actually ended up adding unicode to wikipedia to support esperanto which is crazy. Yeah, and that's really cool. And then because he was the furthest into the code, they ended up hiring him to be the head of tech for the entire Wikipedia project. Well done, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, so well done, Brian, I have to say, actually. Well, well done, Brian, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And then, Chuck, you petitioned Duolingo to get Esperanto on the app. Is that right? Um, and for those of you who don't know, Duolingo is a free language learning app. So what happened was that um, they kept having these surveys, like what language do, do people want to have? Uh, what what new courses do people want to have? And Esperanto kept coming up like the top five or so. And then eventually it came twice in a row in the top <laughs> the top most wanted language. And um, Louis Fanon, even in a lecture, once um, started his lecture about Duolingo saying, and, and people ask us all the time for new courses, and like, even Esperanto, and I don't even know what to do about that. <laughs> but eventually they they launched the course and they actually were just choosing the people who had the most experience points in the platform and I happened to be one of them <laughs> so I got um, chosen as one of the two people to start uh, working on the course and then and then well we had a we made the course up to 20% this is the way they do other courses and then we put two more people on the team up to 40% and then we could just put as many people as we want and now there's over a million people learning Esperanto on Duolingo it, from English, Spanish, and Portuguese, of which uh, 750,000 of them signed in within the last year. So this has been a particularly big boom in the United States because 40% of our learners on Duolingo, well, especially from the English course, are actually learning in the United States. Wow. And why do you think that is? 
So I think there's such a boom in the U.S. because I think it's mostly just because Duolingo is popular in the U.S. I don't think it's anything specially for Esperanto. I mean, you see that similar booms in the U.K. and Australia and the, the movement as well. It's just not as pronounced. So I think Duolingo just doesn't have that kind of presence in other countries besides South America. That's the Spanish course. Well, speaking of a movement, can you give us a little background on the purpose of Esperanto? We told our listeners that it's about uniting people. It's not about a region. It's an international language. But can you talk more, a little bit more about that? So originally, Zamenhof made Esperanto with his um, idealistic goals of um, bringing world peace, because he figured if people can talk to each other, they'll stop fighting with each other. Uh, I guess that's not really that doesn't really pan out in the long term. But the community has sort of taken it upon themselves anyway, just to grow the language, enjoy the community. And so while a lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people see it as a failure, we as a community see it as a huge success because this language that was just created out of nothing suddenly has millions of speakers around the world. That's just crazy. And the idea is it's super easy to learn, right? You can, you can become fluent in a matter of months. Is that true? Exactly. So I've even seen, well, I saw one polyglot, I guess that's kind of a crazy example because he speaks like 16 languages and he started learning on Friday and by Sunday, he was already sounding like uh, a beginner having basic conversations in it. Oh, my like, God. What an asshole. That's possible for a very talented person even to learn it, like <laughs> the basics in like a few days. We often tell people like um, study it for a few weeks, go to like a week long Esperanto meeting. And by the end, you're often very conversational, if not fluent. Mm-hmm. Well, we plan to go on Duolingo. We plan to learn it to the best of our ability online. But since, since yeah, I do, I do. Um, But since we we have them here, Allie, we might as well get some basic phrases. Let's get a little mini lesson. Let's do it. Um, so maybe just like uh, if, if you wouldn't mind teaching us maybe a, a, a greeting or, you know, how to tell somebody our name or something about ourselves, that would be amazing. <laughs> sure. So saluton. Uh-huh. Saluton. That's hi. Is that hi? Okay. Yes. Saluton. Yeah. Mia nomo estas Chuck. Kio estas via nomo? Oh, Mia nomo estas Jen. <laughs> Stella, how are we doing? <laughs> so it's very related to romance languages. Is that right? That's right. And so the vocabulary comes 60% from Romance languages, um, 30% from Germanic languages, and 10% from Slavic languages. But what really makes it easy to learn are the, um, the logical way the language is put together. Like, um, and it's actually amazing because I find that people will relate with whatever language they've learned. So I was once teaching a Dutch girl um, who spoke fluent Japanese, Esperanto, and after like everything I taught her, she would come back to me and be like, that's just like Japanese. That's just like Japanese. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Wait, I, how- I love that it's taking all the best parts of all the languages and throwing out the illogical nonsense that makes languages hard. Like, that's <laughs> right. pretty great. Although I wonder if people, if really started speaking it, if slang would develop and it would become just as complicated. Hmm. Or maybe not, because everyone understands that the idea is to keep it very structured and simple. Yeah, I think that's what would happen because, I mean, there's some a couple of slang words that enter the language anyway, but um, like the word for cool, for example, and yeah. And there's also what is the word for cool? Moyosa. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Moyosa. Moyosa. Um, yeah, that actually uh, yeah. came as an acronym of a modern young style, as funny as that is. <laughs> most, most words just come in through like 
like in, like new words can enter the language either coming from another national language or by being a compound word. Like if you okay, since we're we're talking about the internet here, it was back in the day of instant messengers when that was such a common term to use. I came up with the word tui messagilo, which means literally immediate message tool. <laughs> and I was talking with a friend about it, and he ended up using the exact same word for it. And I was like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" Wow. We both coined yeah. it independently. Uh, just staying on this thread, um, I'm fascinated by the differences between a quote-unquote natural language, you know, Japanese or or English, so a language that's been around for thousands of years, versus a um, a constructed language. Maybe you guys have better terms for this, but this idea that like languages have so much baggage and they evolve over centuries and millennia and right. maybe the simplicity or structure of esperanto i guess we don't have enough time to know that it to, to see it evolve but do you think that the simplicity uh makes it impervious not impervious but more immune to um changes like that so we've definitely seen it evolve. Like if you um, go to say an Esperanto literature seminar, you'll learn that there's five schools of Esperanto literature where the language has changed through the decades. And because it's so young, it's changing much faster. Because mm. um, if I read texts from like the early 1900s, the, the funny thing is they're all very understandable. They just sound a bit funny. Like when I'm reading them, mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, I understand everything. It just looks weird. Like, so like you, like Shakespeare kind of thing, right, like it just exactly. feels old. Yeah, about like that. Probably not quite as um, difficult to understand as Shakespeare. Maybe Dickens, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, because it has only been around it's 125, 130 years now. So, so given that premise, you you would say maybe that it it is evolving as effectively or as rapidly as any other language does though maybe a little bit faster just because we're living in the modern era like japanese is evolving as quickly as esperanto because we're all living in the 21st century speaking those languages is that fair right so i say that basically zamenhof presented like the basic rules which actually don't those rules don't change those grammar rules don't change mm -hmm. and a thousand terms of vocabulary like a thousand roots or word roots and then the community themselves just use it and it evolves naturally from there Mm -hmm. um, can we teach Matt how to say I am a good boy? It's sort of an inside <laughs> joke, but I think that would be really fun. <laughs> how do you say that? <laughs> Mieses bona canabo. Matt, you want to give it a go? Mieses bona canabo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. All right, well, there you go. You're going to be able to say that in every language. <laughs> it, it is so amazing that you can hear these <laughs> phrases. I mean, this is probably my, my first exposure to spoken Esperanto, and like, I, I'm with you. I, there's no other language that I've ever experienced that that I can follow as as easily. It, it's quite remarkable. Mm. But we can follow it so easily because I think it's got this basis in Romance languages. Like I understood it because I know basic Spanish. Mm -hmm. I mean, has there been criticism about how Western the roots are? There are, yes. but then yeah. <laughs> but then I mean, for a language to be cohesive, it has to have some kind of base. So, but the really the the logical way, like the way the words compound together, actually seems more like um, Chinese, for example, so or maybe Turkish. So it still has like building blocks that come from other languages, even if the vocabulary is very uh, romance based. And where are the highest concentrations of speakers? Ooh, I'd say in Europe. <laughs> yeah. In which countries? Probably in Europe, right? I'd probably even say Hungary, honestly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so 
I don't think it's in Hungary, but in in Europe in general, I think uh, the important part that uh, many times people either don't understand or misunderstand is that Esperanto is magic in person. So to be able to meet other Esperanto speakers, if you don't have to travel far, and in Europe we have the opportunity to have countries actually close to one another, and that also means that many different events organized by different uh, national and international organizations, then it's just easier to meet each other and to see that the language works in person. And yes. that's why I think uh, that is that is the reason why we have most speakers in Europe. And I'd say for organizing events, uh, Germany is a bit of a powerhouse there. For example, and as far as New Year's events go, there's actually going to be three Esperanto New Year's events in Germany coming up. In oh, just a three month. that you know of. Four. Oh. There's another one. <laughs> <laughs> what are these events? Well, they are for, for different age groups. And um, that's why they are very interesting that depending on, on um, where you belong, let's put it that way, then uh, you can go to different events. And historically, they are there. And yeah, basically, that's it. Some for families, some for youth, some for a bit uh, older people. Yeah. Uh, Stella, can you elaborate on what you meant by the magic of speaking it in person? Uh, what does that mean for you? Well, I mean, for me, that's that's a very different story, I would say. Um, I think we should just, uh, you know, um, compare our experiences with Chuck, um, because I am a native speaker, so I've spoken it literally all my life, and I use the language every single day, and mostly not with my family, to be honest. So (laughs) with my friends, and currently uh, I live together with someone, and our language is Esperanto. So, you know, we are friends, we knew each other through the Esperanto community, so I literally use it every single day. And uh, I think uh, for me it's always still always magic to meet someone and get to know the person and and know that the person speaks Esperanto and if some so if someone speaks Esperanto I don't want to speak any other language with that person anymore to be honest <laughs> and with Chuck just hearing Chuck <laughs> speaking English right now is so weird <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so Stella and I have never weird. spoken I don't think we've spoken anything besides Esperanto to each other before no, no. <laughs> I can't wow. believe we haven't asked this but how did the two of you meet oh my god no idea <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it was at the international youth week in Hungary I think in 2002 or 2003 2002 okay, I think it was <laughs> I, I wanted to answer your question too about the the magic of meeting uh, Esperanto yeah, speakers in person. Yeah, it's important to contrast. <laughs> yeah, so the first like about a year after learning Esperanto, I was traveling around say, Brazil, Poland, Russia, and often in those countries they they don't they either speak very very basic English where you're not going to have a nice conversation. It's just going to be like oh, you know where's the bathroom or something like that. And I, it was just like mind boggling to me to realize like I'm talking with people who. Like, we have no other way to communicate besides Esperanto. And it's just like... And the other thing that I found interesting is that when you, you speak English with people, one thing you don't realize is they've learned all about, like, British and American culture. So they already have that way of, like, interacting with you and already know that. But when you talk with someone in Esperanto, they may not have learned all that stuff about your culture or 
the culture in the UK. So you get a very different perspective um, in your conversations. And you feel more free to ask as well. That's my mm. impression. Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed by um, one answer. Um, yeah, Gunnar Fischer is another native Esperanto speaker, and uh, uh, he was asked. Um, what, so he's uh, German and Esperanto, and someone asked, uh, "What can you sp speak better in German and Esperanto?" And he said, uh, "In German, I can talk about my my work topics better, and in Esperanto, I can talk about like uh, intimate topics, like things that are more mm -hmm. taboo in German to talk about, like your feelings." Mm -hmm. I was fascinated Interesting. by that. Yeah, I was so curious about that and if, if there is any sort of culture around the language or the identity that people might take on or if it's just completely like cutting to the heart of an individual <laughs> to sort of be able to speak it. Well, yeah, that's always the question whether Esperanto has culture or not. Well, of course it does. It's a language and uh, it's very interesting how it evolves. I'd say... The thing that I see with almost everyone, I, obviously I can't say everyone because I don't know everyone who speaks Esperanto, but, you know, just in general being interested in other cultures, just mm -hmm. not thinking that necessarily that your culture or your language is the best and being able to question that and having that openness to want to get to know other cultures and ask and for that, probably you have to travel at some point. Um, but versus with the passport, as several people can come to you as well if you're willing to host. So I think that is one very important aspect. Yeah, actually, it was funny because as, as you were answering, I remember that in Seattle at the um, U.S.-Canada um, National Esperanto Conference, I gave an entire talk about the, uh, the culture of Esperanto. <laughs> So it's it's funny because you you have things like these things that just happen at events like you know there's going to be concerts in the evening you know there's going to be a thing called gufuyo which is sort of like a tea lounge uh, and then there's all the the literature or over well, I'd say over twenty thousand books so that's a statistic from fifteen years ago I'm sure there's many many more now and the music there's yeah about any style you can think of you can get music in Esperanto. And it's all a labor of love because people just want to express themselves to this international community with music or literature or by going to events and talking with people. Or even, like I said, um, either hosting people or staying at their homes. Like I knew one guy in, um, in Manhattan, actually, that he said, I hate traveling, but I love like the world coming to my door. So that's another a form of culture is this meeting people through hosting them around the world. And speaking of culture in Esperanto, our trivia earlier in the episode was about one of the four known feature films written and performed in Esperanto, which was a film called Incubus starring William Shatner. And I know, Chuck, you had some thoughts or maybe something to add on that uh, that nugget. Yeah, so basically, um, okay, well, first of all, I have to say, if you can get a hold of the DVD, Watch it with the Shatner commentary. It is hilarious. It's like one of the most hilarious things I know. It's amazing. So basically what happened was the director wanted to pick a... wanted to have an otherworldly uh, language, like an otherworldly feel to the film. So he wanted to choose a language. But if he chose something like, like Hungarian, then he'd piss off all the Hungarians or, you know. <laughs> so, he's, so he decided to pick Esperanto. And the funny thing is they actually even directed... The film in Esperanto, even though none of the actors knew Esperanto, because they just wanted to have this these confused looks on the actors' faces throughout the entire film. It's crazy. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> yeah. So they didn't require the actors to learn Esperanto or even speak it? No. And they just all learned their lines. Yeah, yeah. And you you can definitely hear the French undertones in uh, Shatner's uh, um Wow, I wonder why well. the movie was a flop. <laughs> <laughs> Some even say the movie was cursed that like and then eventually they found it somewhere in in some old French archive and had to um, bring it back to life and I think yeah, Sci-Fi Channel did all the um, work on rejuvenating it, but it's oh, excellent. It's crazy. Chuck, I, I have a question for you because earlier, when we first started this interview, it sounded like in your personal story, you were a little skeptical of Esperanto at first, and then you like really do- dove in. Is that true? <laughs> that would describe it, yeah. So what <laughs> changed that you went from being cynical to being like, this is fucking great? <laughs> I think it was honestly just doing that first lesson and just seeing the like the language for myself. Because I, I hear the same thing from people who learn on Duolingo. They're like, oh, I'll just do a lesson and see, um, you know, I'm just curious what it's like. And then they like do a second lesson, a third one, and then they get involved in the community and then they're like hooked. And it's like, ah, oh. <laughs> I was just really impressed by how well the language was designed and it just made sense to me. Yeah. And also, I just love the ideals behind it, too, that, like, if I travel, like, if I normally, if I speak to Stella, <laughs> I'm not forcing her to speak my language, but uh, we speak a neutral language. Well, in this case, that would also be her native language. But but it also, native speakers don't have that level of authority in Esperanto like they do in other languages. No, we what don't. Do you, what do you mean? Not at all. <laughs> what it oh. means that uh, what I say <laughs> is not better than some what someone else says about the language. Like, for instance, uh, you'd ask a native speaker in any other language about grammar, and in Esperanto, you don't trust native speakers to give you, <laughs> you know, advice on grammar or to correct you. You know, is native it because speakers it's so much get easier? corrected all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the point. Um, I get very, very little criticism for my parents' decision, you know, that uh, to to educate me with Esperanto. But um, yeah, the point is that it's so easy to learn the language, and you can get to my level, you know, between quotation marks, um, very fast. And by very fast, I mean literally in three months you could get to my level. So that's a, that's a different story than comparing it to any other native language and especially that mine is hungarian so yeah try try and see where you get you know in three months time yeah the other reason why uh, native speakers aren't as authoritarian as authoritative in other as in other languages is because they're um they don't have formal schooling in esperanto like you would in other native languages so in terms of the um how it's spoken around the world when you travel have you ever just randomly come across an esperanto speaker or is it more that when you travel you seek out the local community or you know events that are going on so it's a random uh, person only happened to me once when i was in rio i saw someone with an esperanto t-shirt and and uh, mm-hmm. he actually saw us first because we were someone in our group was wearing an esperanto t-shirt that's what happened yeah and he came up and said esperanti story like Yes, Niestas. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, to me, it happened many, many times. Yeah. But probably because, um, you know, I grew up speaking the language, so my mom would speak to me Esperanto. So I would be speaking it a lot more in the street. And yeah, the same thing about the Esperanto t shirts. And then you just meet people all the time, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing was that experience in Brazil even inspired me. 
I wanted to have a GPS device where I could just like see Esperanto speakers near me. And then I was only able two years ago to actually make this dream a reality by creating the app Amikumu. And you can actually do that for over 7,000 languages to see who speaks them around you. Um, obviously, if they're on the app. Wait, wow, what? that's really cool. <laughs> Tell us more about this app. <laughs> <laughs> so with Amikumu, you put it, you just set up a, a profile and then you can say like, I'm looking for French speakers. And then you see who speaks French around you, if they're also on the app, obviously. That's pretty cool. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how technology has influenced the language and the spread of it. Well, I'm, I can think about Telegram or even just Twitter, just uh, just trying the language and being able to test whether what you say makes sense or not. I mean, I think it's uh, within our community, we're happy to help. You know, when, when we see people who are starting to learn the language, then we're just happy to jump in and help uh, those people who want to be corrected or who want to uh, just see whether what they said or typed made sense. And for instance, that's why Twitter is awesome, because you don't have the space to write a lot. So you can just try it straight away and see whether someone responds and usually they do. So it's easier to find one another. It's much easier to find one another, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these internet communities really blew up after the launch of Duolingo. Like, for example, Reddit was pretty much dead for Esperanto. And then a few months after the Esperanto course launched, the Esperanto Reddits became really popular. And I think it's funny, too, because I mean, all these things build on each other. Because I mean, we have the, the, the email course I learned on, which it built on a postal course, actually, a postal correspondence course. And then after that, there was Lernu, which is 2002, which is like this um, online learning portal, which is still incredible. And you just see all these technologies and everything built. And like Duolingo would never have taken Esperanto if they hadn't had all these things to begin with. So it all just builds on each other as the community grows. I well, think we're asking sense. the wrong questions here, guys. Uh, okay. The real questions... Yeah. The real question is, is are there curse stupid. words? Are there curse words or swear words in Esperanto? Were they built in by the founder or were they? did they evolve? And if they exist, please teach them to us. I well, cannot fuck fucking believe that I didn't think of that. I'm ashamed of myself. You're asleep at the wheel, Goldberg. God so damn the it. person I would say is there that, are. What were yeah. you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> many, many, many. Yeah. But where did yeah. they come from? Were, were they were they built in by the creator? Is, was that foresight of his, or, or did they evolve? Oh come on! I mean, I'm a native speaker. <laughs> Literally everything about history or whether you know something about how the language evolved. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I I just was raised with the language. I use it every day. So I, you know, I'm not even interested. I'm just enjoying the language itself. So so it was Which part sounds, of meaning. It was part of the cursing was part of the language as it was handed down to you is what you're saying, right? Yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> got it. Got it. Teach us. So, teach us, Stella. So what do you got? Like, oh, go ahead. Oh come on! No, I don't want to do it. Why not? That's the first. Those are the first phrases anyone learns in a foreign language. The only things I know how to say in German are dirty. <laughs> Actually, okay, weirdly, I know. In Germany, that's good. <laughs> in German, I know how to say intercourse, fucking, and marriage. It's weird. 
Okay. So you could, so you could, you could learn uh, Fikiju, which would be fuck you. What? Say it again? Fikiju. Fikiju. Is that yeah. good? Which, it literally means become fucked. Oh. That's, uh, I love so that. That seems sort of delightful. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny going oh. back to the, the origins of the swearing, like you were saying. Uh, it, it actually has a pretty interesting story in the early days because um, there was a predecessor to Esperanto called Volapuk, which was, uh, was by this um, Catholic priest. And he actually wanted to keep control of the language and wouldn't allow swearing in his language. And I think also, like, seeing that, Zamenhof wanted to make sure that everyone was free to say whatever they wanted to. I don't know if he actually personally introduced the swear words into the language or not. I'm not that good of a historian, but, yeah. So it's certainly an interesting exercise for the listener to learn about that. <laughs> Speaking of our listeners, uh, we have a question from one of our listeners in our Discord server. Uh, this is from Toby, and it's a bit of a philosophical question that might uh, serve to wrap up our conversation here. And, and with all due respect, he kind of says, what's the point? And, and the context of that is, if uh, someone were to learn Esperanto today, is this currently in 2018 like a hobby or an interest or a way of communicating with other speakers in a new way? Or does the community still truly believe that this is a path toward uh, global harmony or peace? Like, what's the what's the philosophy behind the language today, and why do people learn it? Yeah, I think it's probably the the fact you get ten Esperanto speakers in a room; they'll all disagree about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you'll get you'll the yeah, people. Yeah, I don't think we think about world peace when we speak the language. Honestly, <laughs> it's just we're having so much fun—the best fun. And then that that makes people stay, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you learn it, you think, okay, does it work? Can I actually communicate in it? How limited is it? And then you realize it's not limited at all. You can literally fully express yourself. You're not limited in any way. You can swear as well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, insult people as you wish. Probably you don't want to, but still. Thank you, Jill. The community. <laughs> 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 I can teach you more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's not the best one, but whatever. And, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think it's a lot of fun, and you're just happy to meet people, and you're just happy to learn in a totally different way about the world. And as long as you're interested, you're going to stay. And I don't think we have world peace in mind or ideals too much. I don't know, Chuck. No, I mean, I think you get the people. I mean, I've heard everyone saying like, like my biggest reason to learn it was to stay with people around the world and make like my travel cheaper. <laughs> but I've heard people. Uh, I respect like, that. Yeah. <laughs> Some people wanted to like really like for the idealistic reasons. Some want just to party in other countries, like just everyone's reason is very different so it's so it's like the travel reason strikes me as like it's really hard to learn german or hungarian or spanish but mm -hmm. you can go to these places and communicate people by almost like a shortcut of like esperanto is much easier so you can get there faster is yeah and if you fair? go to a, yeah and if you go to a typical conference you'll often find that the people often congregate with people of their own language and then you're like why did you all travel here like to paris to do that 
Whereas with Esperanto, you're seeing like there's a table with someone from Russia, Poland, and Hungary, and America, Japan, all talking to each other, and all on more or less equal footing. That's great. That is so cool. Yeah. So that's yeah. the ideal we see today for Esperanto, I'd say. For anybody who's interested in learning Esperanto, <laughs> where would you suggest they start? Should they go on Duolingo? Yes, yeah. why not? Yeah, okay. I'd say Duolingo and uh, Lerno.net is also a very good resource. All right, Jen's excited to learn with you listeners. Uh, she's going to be your accountability partner. It's happening. <laughs> I'll check on you later. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chuck and Stella, for taking the time to speak with us and to speak English with us and with each other. It might have been weird for you. I don't know. But thank you. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. She's getting mad. She's getting <laughs> She's a monster. <laughs> I'm seriously thinking about learning this language. Actually, I was tempted. I just I just know myself and I don't know when I'm going to do it. But yeah, cuz I also felt like sort of skeptical, like kind of what's the point? But by the end I was like that's really lovely. And you know, for me, I love just like meeting interesting people and I feel like it's an excuse to go meet like crazy people all over the world. Absolutely. The only thing for me that would get in the way would be that you would have to seek out the people, it sounds like, um, at different events. But yeah, just to meet, just to have the barriers of uh, of languages and in culture in some ways just kind of taken down <laughs> so you can really talk to somebody and like learn so much about their life. I, I just, it must be really fascinating. Um to like immediately be on the same page with somebody that normally you would feel is really separate or different from you. So, yeah. yeah. I'm really curious about its usage in Asia or like are there any speakers in Africa or India, you know, because it, right. it's cool, but it does feel very European, you know. It feels a bit, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious what the populations are in different countries literally worldwide. But it actually, I mean, I, I get it. Like, it makes sense for Europe, right? Because you've got all these countries right there. And, you know, you could learn seven languages or learn Esperanto. I don't know. Right. I, I initially thought, like, learn the seven languages. But <laughs> it's pretty cool <laughs> that it's, like, so quick and easy to learn. And it sounds like, um, I was thinking, you know, languages evolve and become so complicated. But it seems like the people who learn it, are all passionate about its simplicity, so that might keep it pretty simple, pretty pure. Mm -hmm. um, and now I know Fakiju, so I feel good about that. <laughs> I cannot believe I didn't think to ask that question, though. I'm ashamed of myself. I, I should be cut out. I'll dub it in your voice. Okay. Thank you so much. But Matt, um, how do you say I am a good boy? Do you remember? <laughs> oh my God, I don't remember. Okay, I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna. I'm gonna roll that listen back. to our episode. I'm not gonna use Duolingo. I'm just gonna listen to this episode over and over, and hopefully come out as a native uh, Esperanto speaker. Right. Yeah, I think that'll work out well for you. Yeah, yep. um, yep. I think that's a good way to do it. <laughs> I encourage all listeners to listen to this episode on repeat. I'm sure you'll pick it up just fine. Yep, yep. In different apps, just uh, you know, turn turn it on. Multiple devices in your house, just as many downloads as we can get that'll really help you well there is that the listener <laughs> um the, my big takeaway is t-shirts wear a t-shirt that says i speak I know, Esperanto, right? and right, you're good right, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because maybe they are coming across other people that speak it but they don't know because they're not wearing the t-shirt yep yeah yeah invest in a good graphic tee matt you have a lot of good graphic tees <laughs> yes, that, that is my philosophy should i wear yeah. a t-shirt that says single <laughs> uh, no, don't do that. Just a, just a T-shirt that See says "fuck that you" goes. in Esperanto. <laughs> well, you oh, know that's something actually we did kind of funny. 
Something we did not ask about was dating within the culture or within the language rather. Um, And when he said location-based app, that that did pop into my mind. I'm sure people are using it for dating, right? They got to be. Yeah. I mean, our parents met that way, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I see how it does feel like a shared bond because it's like you have a secret language with people all over the world. He said location-based app and you thought of dating. I assumed that he had just invented the Pokemon Go of Esperanto. I see. That was my first thought. Definitely. Nice work, guys. Nice work. <laughs> and the main um, character's name is Fukiju. <laughs> Fukiju totally sounds like a Pokemon, actually. <laughs> oh, Ali, um, do you remember the Pokemon dildo sketch that will forever be burned into our memories? <laughs> Pokemon. Pokemon. Matt, we told yeah, you about this, Yeah, right? that's what it was called. Yeah, indeed. Okay. You're welcome, <laughs> anyway, listeners. That was a fascinating also, story. Yeah. They, they claim that it's not about world peace anymore exactly, but I do see how it is, right? Because if you're able to communicate with people, you know, in Japan and wherever, and you're all at the same linguistic level, you know, I, I do think a lot of conflicts comes from people not it, communicating. But but it's more like their desire to go meet people is what's so cool. But that's the part that blew my mind is like, I will never learn Japanese as well as a Japanese speaker. And arguably a Japanese speaker would never learn English. Like, like we would both have accents. We would both kind of flub. But if we both met in the middle and learned a very simple language like Esperanto, we would be speaking perfectly well at, together. And that that blew me away. It's the simplicity that is Although really the game changer. I imagine there's still different accents. Well, that, I actually wanted to ask about that. We didn't quite have time, but like accents and dialects are natural artifacts of language based on culture, history, location. And does that happen in Esperanto? It has to, but yeah. maybe it doesn't well, because it's so artificial. Um, Chuck or Stella, I forget which one, did mention that at, at oh, the, one of the World Congresses that like a sort of natural, new, that a neutral accent did mm-hmm. arise. Mm-hmm. But I still imagine if I learned it tomorrow and a Japanese speaker learned it tomorrow, we would have a different accent. Totally. I but, can't imagine we wouldn't. But maybe not. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm also curious why this still feels sort of like a secret language when in fact it sort of seems like something we should all just be taught if it's so easy to learn. Like why aren't we all just taught this language when we're kids well that is the idea and it would but, but yeah. it would be kind of interesting if in schools worldwide they were taught yeah. esperanto imagine but i guess the course wouldn't last long you know what i mean <laughs> yeah right you'd be taught but i guess you'd be taught and then you could uh, you could read literature and that would be pretty wild i don't think it's gonna happen because people like to be divisive and there's a lot of pride with language but that would be pretty cool I could see um, it happening in some like really progressive New York City preschools or something. Like, come here and learn Esperanto, <laughs> pay an extra Probably. twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that's the whole almost the dilemma of it, right? Creating a universal language. The goal is that everyone speaks it, but that's that's kind of a lofty goal. Yeah, here's the solution: just colonize the world. That's how English got popular. Just right. brutalize yeah, no and problem. colonize yeah, every subject. Yeah, it's just subjugate. it's like a great no solution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, I'll suggest cool, cool, it to cool. Chuck and Stella. They should wow. they should Let get in a ship and just take over other countries and speak wow, Esperanto. This episode with the smallpox and the colonization. <laughs> Knock it up, Matt. World we return peace. to colonization station after the break. Uh, oh God. All right, friends, um, listeners, if you speak Esperanto, let us know. Or if you want to learn it with us, Jen might and Allie also might. Yeah. You can tweet me at Allie Gold. <laughs> and you can tweet me at June Bugger. You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail in Esperanto if you want, and we might play it <laughs> oh on the my podcast. Gosh, please leave us a voicemail in Esperanto. That would be cool. 
that number that you even can if call- it's not oh. really Esperanto, just make it up. Oh, we that's true. Know. Yeah, maybe it's your secret language. Uh, that number is three four seven eight seven one six five four eight. That number again three four seven eight seven one six lit. And if you would like to join us in conversation in real time, you can hop into our Discord server where a lot of listeners of the show hang out. They suggest show topics, and we talk about uh, what's going on on the podcast and in the world at large. Uh, that's Discord.gg/2g1p. Finally, if you want to contribute to this here uh, madness, you can go to our Patreon. Ali, uh, what can, how can they get there? Patreon.com slash 2G1P. Yeah, girl. All right, guys. Saluton. Or I think, I don't know if that's hello and goodbye, but it, it's... <laughs> Fukiju. Um, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> and catch you All later. Right. See ya. by robots. Uh, I mean edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing for this episode by Logan Yuri. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. Thank you to Penguin Random House Audio for sponsoring this episode. Give the gift of audiobooks this holiday season to yourself or, you know, someone you love. Visit PenguinRandomHouseAudio.com slash Two Girls One Podcast to browse their selection of all-time favorites. Then download them in your favorite audio app. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. We need a smart or more person to